Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdina Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ta'anit, daf Yud Gimel, page 13. So our daf continues in the case that, Yerdina, that you read in the Mishnah the other day. Namely, we've um, the rain has not fallen, right? So the beginning dates have passed, and the beginning fasts have you know been established and passed everybody by. And now the community is in a state of fasting i think this is the monday when monday thursday Mon- monday fasting and they have extra restrictions on themselves because there's great concern that the rain is not falling so one of these restrictions of course is bathing one of these concerns is is bathing the bathing is a matter of um well this is exactly the discussion that we have on our daf is the bathing a matter of um in hot water, in cold water, is it all together? Is there any leeway for people to bathe? Let's keep in mind, and we've talked about this before, I know, um, that the the baselines of when, how often one would bathe are completely different in this time of the Gemara than they are nowadays, right? Meaning if you're talking about ritual immersion, if you're talking about um, immersion for, for any kind of purification, that could happen with, it depends on what your job is and how often you might need to for a kudshim, if you're a kohen, for marital relations, if you're a, a woman of, of a particular age, right? But the kind of thing that everybody, everybody, right, nowadays in the Western world takes a shower every day, just about, right? It, it was not the thing then. So it, I do believe that if we were going to engage in this exact same conversation, but under today's norms, the conversation would be somewhat different. I think it's fair to say. On the other hand, we're going to pay attention to what they're talking about here. So the discussion, bring. I'm going to jump most of Amad Aleph towards the bottom of Amad Aleph, <coughs> or excuse me, where we have a case of a mourner, right? And the reason that the case of the mourner is brought, of course, is because it's a kind of fasting that now includes these inuyim, these sufferings that go along with the status of, we think of them as for Tishabov, they're also the status for someone who's in deep mourning. So here we've got a case, the, the example is um, exactly that, right? Can the mourner bathe in hot water and cold water or what? So here I'm going to jump, I'm jumping into the discussion. We'll pick it up as it's, as it's already in progress, so to speak. Um, it says, Toshma, So these are Kohanim. Let's take note of that. So the children, the sons of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Hanina had died. And he bathed, he washed in cold water all the week of Shiva. And the implication of that, of course, is that one is allowed to bathe because he wouldn't have bathed if he if it were not allowed. And of course, the point is that he's bathing in cold water. So that must be what's the thing that's allowed. But the Gemara doesn't like that. So what happens? <coughs> this, that case, the sons of Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Hanina, and this is one of those things where we like to talk about these biographies and really you need to know everything before you can know anything. The, the mourning periods for each son, right? they came one after another. They died in quick succession. And so then, according to the Gemara, the, there was a leniency because Otherwise, too much time. It's not just one shiva that would have passed without him bathing, but but you know, 
these multiple shivas. Hatam kishetachfu avalav hava. It was he was kind of um, caught up um, or captured by the morning by the phenomenon of mourning. Detanya it's chafu avalav baze acherze hechbid saaro mekel bataar umachbesik sutobamayim. So what happens if the morning periods become, you know, they they hit one after another? And his hair grew heavy. It's right. That's the the picturesque language here. Hichbid saro. His hair is heavy, meaning he hasn't a haircut. He hasn't used a razor, and he likewise hasn't washed his cl- clothing. The claim here is that there are leniencies under these circumstances because they are such extreme circumstances. Amar of Chista b'taar avalo b'misparayim b'mayim v'lo b'neter v'lo b'chol. So Rav Chista modifies or, or picks up on exactly these, these lists of exceptions of what could he do. He says he's allowed to use a razor, but the idea is that he's not allowed to use scissors, right? Meaning using a razor to cut your hair is not necessarily the normal way to go about it. And Rav Chista says, like, yes, this is a, a leniency, but we still have restrictions that it's not supposed to be in a normal way because he is still in mourning. So likewise, you can wash his clothing in water, but not with not netter. Netter is a kind of soap, and not with chol, not with sand, which is also, you know, the way of scrubbing out stains and so on from garments back in the day. The Gemara goes on. Amar Rava, Ev Avel Mutar Lechotz B'Tonein Kol Shiva. Rava says a straight out statement of permissibility: a mourner is permitted to bathe in cold water all the week of mourning, all the week of Shiva. Mide Dahava Abisur V'Chamra. Is it similar, just as it's possible for him to eat meat and wine? Meaning, we don't have a rule that says these, I don't know what we're going to call them, creature comforts are auto, are automatically off the table during Shiva, right? Rather, in fact, somebody is permitted to, to eat meat and to drink wine during their time of Avelut. But the Gemara is going to ask a question here. So the Gemara brings a contradictory case to this. A grown woman, meaning what's a bogeret? A bogeret is somebody who's hit the age of maturity, of physical maturity. So it's not really what we would call a grown woman. It's um, past bat mitzvah or past 12 and a half, really. Um, she is not permitted to make herself l'navel at that She's not permitted to make herself unattractive. We can have a whole long discussion about this. During a the very, day. very, very long discussion. Right? What do we expect of people to begin with? And why, why, why there would be a presumption that he or she's supposed to be attractive during the days of mourning for her father, no less. Right. But the Gemara's concern is that it might then be it would it would hurt the Shidduch. Right. That's the concern. Literally, that's the concern. So whereas and then the, the distinction here is an ara. A younger girl, right, meaning between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. And this, of course, is remarkable because the difference between a girl who's 12 and a girl who's 12 and a half, I believe, even in that day and age, is not all that different. Certainly in this day and age, I don't think people drew such a distinction except for these halakhic considerations. But the point is that the Nara, who's younger than the Bulgarit by a few months or or the minimum of a few months, um, is permitted to make herself unattractive while she is in mourning. And the idea that she's got to, that the Bogaret needs to pay attention to her appearance during the week of Shiva, 
kind of runs counter to the everything we know about Shiva, covering the mirrors, right? Tearing your clothing, not changing your clothes, not washing, all of these things is exactly um, the opposite of what we think about during this time. But it's also being used here. This case of the Bulgarian is being used to a counter as a counter for Rava's claim that a mourner is allowed to bathe in cold water during Shiva. So the Gemara has to figure this out. My love, Berchitsa, Uvamai. The Gemara says, what's like, isn't this then about bathing? Meaning, this thing with the Bulgarian who's not, uh, who's not supposed to make herself unattractive, are we really talking about washing that the Gemara is bringing it as a counterexample to Rav's statement? My love, Berchitsa, Uvamai, Ilema Bachabid, Ena Bulgarian Rasha. If we want to say that she's that the brights here is talking about hot water, right? Then, and if she's not allowed to make herself unattractive, then is that really a matter of hot water? Meaning, is that about hot water? Is that about cold water? Why? Why would we say that this is specific to hot water? But Rav Chista said somewhere else that a mourner is not allowed to put even his finger into the hot water for the purposes of washing. Meaning, I believe the idea is that it would be too too enjoyable. Ella love bitsonin, but so can you put your finger into cold water? Lo firkus. So the Gemara says no. There we're talking about what is what. So I'm sorry, I have to take a step back. The Gemara is talking here about the cold water and then the hot water, and then the presumption is that you could put your finger into cold water, and then the question is why could a young woman there? not bathe in cold water. Like it should be parallel to this the you know the case of the finger. But the Gemara takes a step back and says, no, we're not talking about washing at all in terms of what is she not allowed to do in terms of making herself not attractive. It's that we're not she's talking about keyhole. The the English word for this of course is I can't pronounce it properly, I'm sure is kol, right? The painting of one's eyes. And Pirkus is dyeing one's hair, meaning making oneself beautiful through cosmetics, I guess, right? And the idea is that a grown woman, and here, you know, I keep seeing it translation saying grown woman, but we're talking about 12 and a half and up, is allowed to do these things to beautify herself. It's not just to not let herself be unattractive. It's to actively go and do the things that cosmetically beautify a person during the time of mourning. And so we have here really quite a range of opinions in the question of, what is the bathing that can, you know, washing that one can do or cannot do during the morning period? And the whole of it, I think, is kind of a challenge, or rather, this end of it is rather a challenge to the premise at the beginning. The Gemara goes on to talk about these sons of Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina and how he had bathed in all the, in the cold water all seven days of morning. And of course, again, there's the exception because they, it was back to back morning, but the claim is still like, Okay, but he still must have been allowed to do it. So I think what's interesting is that, you know, this is probably a type of halacha that was very much informed by personal practice, right? They're not really quoting any psukim here. There's not a midrash halacha to sort of figure out, can you bathe or not bathe? And probably it sort of developed a little bit differently. Like some people kind of could make it through a week without bathing at all. And then you probably had people who were like, I got to wash up a little bit. So I think the premise of using an, a personal example makes a lot of sense.
but I also could see where this probably was a custom that did vary like location to location, rabbi to rabbi, you know, place to place, house to house. I'll, I, I think you're exactly right. The Gemara goes on to say, it makes that point about the, the, right, the meat and the wine. Why is it that somebody could have meat and wine? And why is this a big issue for washing? And the answer is because people eat and drink to ease their anxiety. And again, there's no pasuk here. There's no verse. There's no halacha really to be deriving it from something earlier. So the but the idea is that you can eat and drink to relieve that tension or whatever it is as a comfort food during avelut. But washing is considered something that is pleasurable and there and enjoyable, and therefore it's not like therefore it's not part of the picture, and it shouldn't be part of the picture. And I come back to what I said at the beginning, which is that I think they related to the whole phenomenon of washing. I think we find washing enjoyable now too, but I don't think that's how we relate to it. We relate to it as a necessity. Right. So, you know, I think that's just an interesting, uh, you know, I, I think it's how you feel about it. Like some people could not, you know, bathe. Right. And I also think probably today the halacha may be different because we bathe much more frequently than anybody bathed then. So that also may have made a difference. Um, I'm going to move to the Amud bed. And there's a discussion that takes place here um, about where we put the place of what's called the Anenu prayer. So the Anenu prayer, you can look in a sitter, is sort of this additional prayer that we make on fast days. And so the question the Gemara says, it's Luta Ditanita Karinan, right? Where in the Shemona Esrei do we recite the Anenu prayer of a fast day? Adaravi Rav Yehuda Rav Yitzchak So Rav Yehuda took Rav Yitzchak his son, and they were walking. I'm not clear why that deed was important, but Darash, and he said to him, an individual who accepts a fast upon himself, right? Um, so if an individual takes upon himself a fast, where does he say the Anenu prayer of a fast day? He should say it between the bracha of Goel, right? to Rofe, okay? So you will see that in sitters, and there are times where that's what happens. It's an additional bracha they had in the middle of there, so it actually ends up being a 19th, um, it ends up being a 19th bracha. So it would be between the 7th and 8th blessing, basically. Um, so Rav Yitzchak challenges his father. And he says, wait, a yachid can decide on his own, an individual can decide on his own that he's going to just sort of you know, decide if he can include an extra bracha or not, right? And I think that is a good question. Ella, rather, I'm a Rav Yitzchak. Rav Yitzchak says, He should just insert it in an already established bracha. And that's just where that additional request should be. But he shouldn't really go out of his bracha. That it's in Shomayat Tefillah. Now, this discussion back and forth is interesting because it's sort of a son challenging a father, which I think is interesting. Um, and um, the other thing I want to um, uh, just note here is when I talked about 18 brachot here, um, that was before the Lamal Shanim was, was added, which is really the 19th bracha. So even though we call it the Shimon Esrei, there's really, this, so this would have bumped it up to 20. So sorry, that, that came much, much later that we started saying it. So now they're going to bring a challenge to Rav Yitzchak and Rav Sheshas, right? Meitve, right? Ain ben yachid right? There's no distinction between basically an individual and a public talking about a prayer and a fast. 
right? Except that this one says 18 blessings. And again, this was before that, that prayer was added. And this one says uh, 19. So essentially, there, there's no there's no difference here. Um, so now the Gemara wants to sort of try to figure out what's going on here. My Yachid, what's an individual? Now remember, we had this discussion a little bit when we talked about Yachidim, right? That it was initially the Yachidim who did the first three fasts. But now we're talking about a Yachid, which is a little bit different, right? Umay Tzibur, what's a Tzibur? If you say that an individual is like an actual individual, right? It's just a person who's decided to fast in the same furnace, right? But Tzibor, Shliach Tzibor. Maybe Tzibor doesn't refer to the community, but it's the Shliach Tzibor who's leading everybody in prayer. Hani right? So are these, you know, are these, do, do you really say 19? No, there are 24 blessings. Now, this is a great example where the Gemara talks about something that it hasn't actually discussed yet. And later <laughs> on, on Dav Tadvav, on page 15, it's going to talk about that there actually were six additional blessings that were said on these public fast days, bumping up from 18. Again, this is before that 19th buckle was added, from 18 to 24. But this is a great example. Like, if you don't know that, you're reading this Gemara and you're like, what are they talking about? There was nothing about 24. So again, very, very confusing piece of the Gemara here, right? So, honey, um, so the Gemara says, Ella, no, love hafikamar. This isn't what the Bryce is saying. There's no distinction between an individual who takes upon himself a personal fast. As an individual who says, okay, I'll participate in a communal fast. Except that the individual just does an individual fast will only say 18. And the one who takes upon himself a communal fast that one will say so that seems to imply that for the communal fast Anenu is actually a separate blessing so we learn from this that an individual can right, accept upon himself a individual bracha when it is going to be a public fast and so therefore this refutes Rav Yitzchak's, uh, what he said because he said that an individual would have to say Anenu in the blessing of Shemit Tefillah. And here it's saying under certain circumstances, actually you could insert it yourself. Now, this discussion goes on at, at much great length. And one of the things I just want to point out, I'm not, I'm not going to continue to read it inside because it, it goes on to the top of the, um, of the next stop, actually, is that part of what the Gemara tries to do is, is that there's a series of Bryce's and Mishnah's that sort of say the only difference between, right, and so they're saying, well, like, this difference isn't mentioned, the thing about the bracha. And so part of what we see them sort of trying to tease out here is paying close attention to the language um, of, uh, of a Mishnah, right? Like it says, I, I guess I'll just read, uh, I'm trying to find that part, you know, uh, you know, when it says, it says it later on, below ha'ein bain, right? The Bryce talks about there's no difference between, right? So they're trying to figure out what does it mean then that it's saying that there's no difference between. And is it talking about a difference between the middle and the last series of fasts, right, where the chauffeurs are blown and the stores are locked? Maybe that's the only difference. Maybe how the tefillah is, is the difference. What I appreciated about this piece of the discussion is it's, again, trying to sort of pay very close attention to the language of a brysa and say, like, well, if it says ain bain, then it has to only be the distinct the the uh, differentiators that are mentioned 
in the brace itself. And so this spends a lot of time uh, sort of trying uh, to figure this out. Ultimately, and again, this is just a sneak peek for tomorrow. Um, ultimately, it basically decides in the end where it lands is, you know, um, uh, that that basically, where does it go? My, how they LA, this is tomorrow's stop. Amar Shmuel bar Sarstai, right? Where Shmuel bar Sarstai say, Bechain Amar bar Ashi Amar Bain Goel right? That one person says between the the Redeemer and the Healer, between the seventh and eighth Bracha, Barav Ashi Amar Mishmei de Rabbi Anai, Barav de Rabbi Yishmael, right? They say it's Bishomei Tzvila, the Hilchata Bishomei Tzvila. So I think ultimately what we see is there's a lot of discussion about trying to figure out what's the intention of these Brisas when it's going through the differences between the different fast days. Is it just in custom, right? Not working, not washing. Is it also making a distinction in Tzvila? I think this ends up being sort of like a long-standing machlokas. The Gemara gives a psak, which is interesting. The Gemara doesn't always give a psak, but Anne, as you would say, I think this is a sussing out Gemara, right? Like, you know, Tfila was not completely set, and we see that even by the fact that it refers to it as Shmona Asrei and not Shasrei, right? It doesn't even mention this nineteenth additional bracha. So I think what we're seeing here is sort of the trying to figure out what should the custom actually be, because again. If I had to pick a theme of today, what you talked about with the bathing and this with its filah, these are not halakha that are like psukim based. So therefore, I think it leads itself to a lot more machlokas about what the actual practice is. And also, I would say it might be less important to get it right in that same way, right? Meaning if different people have different levels of personal sensitivity and different priorities and different norms, then it's not the same kind of thing as, you know, is that is that kosher or is it not kosher, right? There is more individual imprint here, I think, than we might see in areas of halacha that are more classically derived from from biblical verse or halacha Sinai and so on. Yes, I would I would part of that is exactly like you said. It's not whether or not you ate the Korban Pesach correctly. Some of this, although I, I, one could argue that how tefillah is, is paid very close attention to, but I do think it's a, it's a different type of halacha that they're trying to figure out. Right. I think, I, think, I think there was a time where they paid very close attention to how people practiced tefillah in part because it was an identity measure, right? Like, are you part of we who do things this way or are you outside? And if that's outside, how far out do you go? Right. There's such a it was an era of so much sectarianism and so on. I'm not sure that it's I don't know. I It's food for thought for me, I think, to say to say, you know, what was really going on behind the scenes in their in their um, care, the care with which was take that was taken with regard to Brachot and so on. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this tap on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.